0: Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10, through 10, and it can be found on page 976 in your Pew Bibles. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray together for a moment. Our God, we give you thanks for this time and these, your beloved ones whom you've gathered here on this morning. We pray now that your spirit himself would make your word clear. And by making your word clear, make Jesus clear to all of us. Overcome what your word says is the natural deafness of our ears, the blindness of our eyes, the hardness of our hearts, even the deadness of our souls. And come quicken and make alive. Make us hear, make us see illuminate what is darkened, soften what is hard, and bring to life what is dead. Do this on Resurrection Day, for if there is any day that reminds us that we can have hope that you have the power to do this, it's today. For the same power that raised Jesus from the dead raises the dead souls of men and women and has been doing so and can do so even today. This is our hope and our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Easter to you all. I am not a very expressive person, so this is me beaming happy, all right? Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He is alive. That is glorious, great, good news. It is such good news that I need you to hear it and feel it for what it is. Good news, the greatest news you will ever hear. For some of you, you have heard this so often that, to be honest, it doesn't sound like good news. It sounds like old news or stale news. It's news that just went right over your head, and it has not landed on your hearts. And so I need you to hear this is good news. For others of you, you may be even surprised you're at a church on Sunday morning. And so you're thinking, maybe this is good news for some, but what on earth does the story of a man some 2,000 years ago in his life and his death and perhaps his resurrection have any bearing on my specific life in 2013. And for you too, I need you to hear, this is good news. Not stale news or old news. Not irrelevant news. Good news. And for you to hear it as good news, here's what I want to do today. I want to start by giving you bad news. Okay? If you go to buy a really expensive gem, or a costly stone, or a precious diamond, Often what a jeweler will do is he won't just throw that diamond onto the table. No, because he knows you won't be able to appreciate it then. What a good jeweler will often do is he'll lay down this dark, deep black cloth. And then once that cloth has been laid down, then he'll place this precious stone on top. And the reason he does that is because pressed up against that dark reality, you can now see the beauty of this gem for all it's worth. You can begin to observe its cut and its color and and whatever the other C's are. You can know this thing and you can appreciate all of its beauty when it's laid up against a dark background, right? Sometimes for us to really appreciate good news, we've got to receive bad news first, right? For example, if you were at the doctor's office and the doctor ran into the room, caught his breath, wiped his brow and said, I have good news for you. You're not going to die. That might be good news, but you might also be thinking to yourself, I'm not going to die. I came here because my arm hurt. What do you mean I'm not going to die, right? Now, on the other hand, if he had come in and first told you, listen, we're a bit concerned that that pain in your arm is connected to your heart and that there might be something serious going on here, and then as the weight of what might be rested on you and the reality sort of hit you and now he throws open the door and catches his breath and wipes his brow and says I have good news you're not going to die this is nothing severe now suddenly you breathe this ah, huge sigh of relief tears stream down your face because the gravity of what was was now suddenly alleviated with this glorious good news And so that's what I want to do. I want to lay this deep, dark, black background, this dark reality so that you might see the gem of what Easter is in all its brilliance and in all its beauty. I want to give you some pressing bad news and allow it to weigh on your heart so that you might breathe this huge sigh of relief and hear the good news for what it truly is. Good news. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and I hope that by the time we get to that, that sounds like glorious news in your ears. Now, in the scriptures, in the Bible, I don't know of a single passage that presents this contrast better than the passage that Ashley read for us. So you've already heard it in your ears, but if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. It'll also be beamed up on the screen behind me, but Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. And this passage does this brilliant job of laying this dark background for us to consider so that then a glorious gem might be presented on top of it. In the first three verses, you get to hear some bad news. Let me read it for you so that you can hear it with your own ears. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3 says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and that spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, here's the bad news that comes first We are sinners. Now, my guess is, depending on who you are, when I say that that's bad news, some of you have heard that so much, you've grown somewhat immune to it. And again, it's just went right over your head. It hardly causes you to quake or shiver or tremble. It hardly does anything profound to you at all. You've heard that before. You've known that before. For some of you, you're thinking, this is exactly the kind of stuff religious people do. They manipulate people and control people by saying to them primitive things like you're a sinner and they weigh you down with guilt so that they can then rob you of your money or whatever it is that they're after. But what I want to say to you is this, whoever you are, however you come to the room, I'm positive that as we unpack what Paul is going to say and what this text means by calling us sinners, we're all equally going to be offended. I want you to at least know that. Religious or irreligious, whatever your background may be, this text is going to equally offend us all by the time we understand what he means when he says we're sinners. The bad news, the cloth he wants to lay down first is we're sinners. What does that mean? He starts telling us. Verse 1, he says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Linger over that in your mind for a second. And consider at least what the Bible's estimation of your condition is. The Bible does not have a very high opinion of your spiritual condition because the Bible has just said you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Consider that metaphor for a second dead. Not weak, needing to be strengthened. Not doing okay, just needing to try harder not good just needing to get better, not sick just trying to get a bit more healing, dead. That your condition before God is that you are spiritually dead, lifeless, motionless, thoughtless, nothing about you Godward whatsoever. That in your natural state, apart from God entering your life, your condition by nature, and every choice you've ever made confirms that you are spiritually dead. Now, I don't know about you, but that offends me, right? Because I read that, and I want to assume that we are at least basically good, or that at the very least, we at least start off neutral, and then we can go good or we can go bad. And the scriptures say no one starts off neutral, Everyone starts off dead. Not needing to do better because corpses don't do better. Not needing to try harder because corpses don't try harder. Not trying to be positive because corpses don't do positive. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. And he uses those two words that you'll understand. Trespasses, right? Like a sign that says, do not trespass. That means here's a line, don't cross it. And the idea of the Bible is we've all crossed the line. There's certain boundaries, certain rules. We've broken all the rules. We've crossed all the boundaries. We've done what we ought not to do. Trespasses and sins, the text also says. Sin to to capture or round out the idea of saying, not only have we done what we ought not to do, sin is the idea that we've missed the mark. There was something we were created to be and do, and we've missed the mark. We've ruined this relationship that God had created us for. We've wrecked this relationship, and it can't be fixed It can't be remedied. It can't be repaired. It's dead. The relationship with God is dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're not sick, needing to get better. Not weak, needing to get strengthened. Not trying hard, needing to try harder, or working and needing to work better. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. That is that you lie like a spiritual corpse. How much thought does a corpse have? How much action does a corpse make? How much movement does a corpse make? So likewise, there is nothing Godward in your thought, in your action, or in your deeds. Now, of course, every now and then you might give God an occasional nod, but all that does is confirm the state of your heart, that lifeless is your soul. Just like a body stretched out on a stretcher, flatlined, that body can't work harder to regain strength. The only hope is for someone else to yell clear and beat life into this soul again. So likewise, you're laid out spiritually with no hope of grasping for, reaching for, or getting to God. Now, if the text has not offended you yet, it will because it gets worse. Because the verse continues, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, put that together. We just went through great pains to establish you're lifeless, you're a corpse, you make no motion. And now the text follows that with saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So which is it? Are you dead, lifeless, motionless, or are you walking? And as you let the two sort of mix together in your heart, you begin to realize the true horror of your condition. And that is that while you are dead towards God... You are all the while alive in sin, kicking around in sin, swimming in sin, drinking up sin, lapping up sin, enjoying sin. You have no Godwardness about you, but everything about you is active in your rebellion against God and your walk away from God, in which you were once walking. And that's when you begin to realize, we are dead men walking. We're dead towards God, but alive and walking in sin. And when the Bible describes you as walking, it's not just physical steps. So when the Bible says this man walked in righteousness, it's not that he found a street called righteousness and walked in it. It's rather describing a way of life. And so the Bible's verdict of you is that you are dead in sin, walking in it, that the pattern of your life, the bent of your life, the proclivity of your life, the inclinations of your life, Is against God step after step after step. Though you have no thought for God, no desire for God, no love for God that originates in self, you are all the while actively step after step after step walking away from God in active rebellion. We're dead men walking. And now, if that hasn't gotten dark enough or the news isn't bad enough yet, it gets worse still. Because the text continues, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So here's what the text has described your condition so far. You're dead towards God, alive and walking in sin. And then it says, and you have been following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the text way of saying, listen, while you've had no Godwardness about you, you're alive and well in the ways of this world, and you are following God's enemy. Now, I know we're intellectual, and we're sophisticated, and we can't imagine that there's a world beyond what you can touch and see. But the scriptures are at least just going to assert there is this invisible world beyond us with a God and with an enemy of God. They're not equals. They're not the same. But there is this cosmic struggle, and the Bible's saying, you've picked the wrong side. That by nature and by choice, you came into the world on the wrong side. You're on God's enemy's side. And, and do you notice how the text describes him? It says, the prince of the power of the air. That's sort of like when we say phrases like there's an excitement in the air. If, if it, in a few weeks, it'll be opening day. If you drive down to Citizens Park, and you're there at the stadium, you're likely going to say there's just this excitement in the air. There's this energy in the air. Now when you say that, none of you mean that you see excitement floating in the air. No, we know that that's a phrase that just means, look, there's this this pervasive influence, this widespread energy, and you can't help but be caught up in it, and it fuels you, and it fills your lungs like oxygen, and you're swept up into it. And so the text is saying, likewise, there is a power that runs this world, and you, by nature and choice, are breathing it in and are caught up in it and are swept up right along. There's an enemy of God. There's a prince of the power of the air, and he feeds you the oxygen that breathes in your souls. You're dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. If that is not a dark enough cloth yet or bad enough news yet, it gets even worse still. Because it continues in verse 3 by saying, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here's what the text has just said. Not only are you dead in your trespasses and sins, not only are you walking in sin and iniquity and active rebellion against God, Not only are you following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air, but that by nature you are children of wrath. That from the moment you came out of your mother's womb, by nature and then by every successive choice since, you have simply confirmed what your nature is, that you are at enmity with God and an object of God's wrath every successive choice since. You say, but I've done good. Even the good you've done has been tainted and has not been Godward. Every one of us, by nature and by choice, are born as children of God's wrath. That means that there is a God. He does have wrath. He does hate sin. He will judge. There is a hell. People will go there. And that you, by nature, are an object of God's wrath. That his anger towards sin rests and remains on us in our natural condition. And just when we want to weasel out of this and say, well, this might apply to some people, the text broadens this to say, like the rest of mankind. Just as you're about to wiggle out of this with some kind of excuse, the text throws this net so vast and so wide as to catch us all and say we all fall into this, all of us. When this text was originally written, listen, there were two types of people in the world. There were Jews and there was everybody else. They were called Gentiles. And the Jews were moral, decent, upright, good families, good people. And they looked at everyone else as pagan and idolatrous and secular and unbelieving and skeptical and all the rest. And when the text says, listen, these folks are dead in their trespasses and sins. They're away from God, under his wrath. Everybody in this column would have shook their head and said, yep, that's who they are. That's who those people are. But then the text does the most surprising thing and says, we all are here. And that shocks good, moral, church-going, religious people. That shocked them then, shocks us now to say, everybody is born dead in their trespasses and sins. Dead towards God, all the while walking in sin. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. All of us, like the rest of mankind, children of God's wrath. So at the end of just three verses, here's the assessment of the scriptures of all of us. We are dead in sin, dead towards God, alive in our sin, alive towards our sin. We are following the prince of the power of the air, captive to this world and its ways. We are by nature children of God's wrath, and this is all of us. What do you do with that? I know what we want to do is dismiss it or reason with it. I know what we want to do is bring up our resume and show the things that we've done, but we're basically good and the text will keep coming back and saying, no, you're dead. But we can get better, no, you're dead. But we can try harder, no, you're under God's wrath. And here's the thing there is nothing you can do to change any of that. There is nothing you can do to get to God. But God. But God. Those are the first two words of verse 4. And they may be the best words you will ever hear. But God. We were dead, but God. We were done, but God. We were in our trespasses and sins, but God. We had no hope, but God. We, We were lost, but God. You see, with these two words, what the text just did is it now throws the gem onto that black cloth. What the text just did is throw open the doors, catch its breath, and say, but wait, there's good news, but God. So hear what it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. You cannot let the good news pass over you again but God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God raised us up. My friends, that's what Easter is. Easter is not just celebrating that Jesus rose from the dead. It's that because he rose from the dead, I rose from the dead. And we who were dead in our trespasses and sins have been raised with him. So the reality is that by faith, when that stone rolled over and the Lord Jesus walked out, The stone over your grave rolled over and you walked out. That your soul comes alive because he is alive. We were dead, but the text says, but he raised us up because, but God. We were following the prince of this world. We were captive to this world, but God being rich in mercy and grace raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places. We were objects of God's wrath. But verse 4, but God being rich in mercy and grace because of the great love with which he loved us. So now there's no more wrath. There's love because but God. But God. This is all that was true of us, but God. There's no, nothing in yourself that owes life. The spiritual life that flows in our veins is because but God being rich in mercy and grace, loved us and raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places. It's by grace you have been saved, the text says. Though we were dead in our sins, though we were like rotting corpses, hear this, though your condition was like a rotting, decaying corpse, it's as if God walked by your grave and looked at Jesus and I said, I want that mess. And Jesus said, I will die to redeem that. I will die to bring that to life. Listen, this is is the news. The bad news is that we are sinners. The good news is that Jesus is a great Savior. The bad news is that we're sinners, every single one of us. The good news is Jesus is a great Savior. So how can that be true of you today? Here's what I want you to hear. You could have come here dead. You could leave here alive. You could have come here dead in your trespasses and sins. You can leave here alive. Maybe for some of you, this is the first service in a long time. You could have come here dead. You can leave alive. Maybe for some of you, this is the hundredth service in a row. You do this all the time. You could have come here dead you can leave here alive. Easter 2013 can be an Easter you look back at as not just the day you celebrated Jesus' resurrection, but the day of your resurrection. Because when he came alive, you could come alive in him too. How can that be? What do you need to do to come alive? Verse 8 tells us. Verse 8 says, For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. How can you have come here dead and leave here alive? Here it is. It's by grace through faith, and it's not your own doing so that no one can boast. It's by grace. How can you come alive? By grace. You know what grace is? It's a gift. It's something you haven't earned It's something you haven't deserved. And let me ask you, what do you do with a gift? You receive it. That's all you do. Ask me at the end of the service, if you're new here, the story of this property and how you came to be sitting in the room you're sitting in. In one sentence, I'll tell you, a church called St. Mark's Church gave to Seven Mile Road Church six acres of land, four buildings worth $2 million for free. You know what we did? We received it. Because what else do you do with a gift? You know what you do with a gift? You receive it. By grace, you're saved. So Jesus is here extending this gift of grace to any here who will receive it. How can you come here dead, leave here alive? You receive the gift. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You can't even repay it, right? If I, if I wrote a check for $1,000 to St. Mark's and said, no, 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 I don't take things for free. Here's $1,000, we'll call it even. You would say, you cheap Indian, right? <laughs> you would say, don't spoil the gift with such an improper response. Receive it. If I said, no, 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 I'll make it 10000 If I said, no, I'll make it 100000 Have I begun to even scratch the surface of what I owe? Does it not honor St. Mark's much better for me to say, I could never repay this. Thanks for this gift. You're not saved by good works. You're saved for good works. You're not saved by them. You don't earn them. You don't earn grace. You receive it. So I have the most amazing good news for you. You could have come here dead. You could leave alive. You could have come here under God's wrath. You could leave a recipient of his mercy. What do you have to do? Receive the gift. That's it. You don't work. You don't earn. You don't merit. You receive this gift. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. What's faith? You know faith. You exercise faith all the time. You bank your life on something as true, right? This weekend, I got sick. I went to a doctor who I hardly know. I see him once every few years. He wrote something on a paper that I can't read because you know how doctors write. I took it to a pharmacy with people I don't know. They filled a bottle with pills that I don't know what they are. And you know what I did with them? I swallowed them. (laughs) Who does that? You do that all the time. We all do that because I'm banking my life on this being true. I'm saying, this man told me if I take this, I'll be cured. You bank your life on things all the time as though they're sure, as though they're true. They're not blind faith. There's good reason, but it's faith, and you put your life on it as though it's the truest thing in the universe. You want to know what faith looks like? Watch a little kid in, in our service. When the get, weather gets warmer, you're gonna see dads and kids outside, and you're gonna see a two year old run to a dad. This dad is gonna pick this two year old up and throw them 50 feet in the air. And this 20 pound little boy is gonna go flailing in space, and then gravity's gonna take over, and dad's gonna catch him. You know what I've never seen happen? I've never seen this boy punch dad in the face <laughs> and go, What did you just do? Do you know what could have happened? You know what I've seen? They go, again. (laughs) You know why? Dad's done this a thousand times, and he's never dropped him once. And so he has no reason to think otherwise. He goes again, because I know Dad's going to catch me. I'm as sure of it as anything in the world. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. You bank your life on this as though it were the truest thing in the universe. Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ died for my sins. Jesus Christ was buried. He rose again. He ascended. He will return. And He will bring me to eternal life. I believe that as sure as I'm standing here right now. I believe that as true as the words I'm speaking, as the oxygen I'm breathing. I'm banking my life on this. And to all of you who will do the same, you will be saved. For it's by grace. You have been saved through faith, and it's a gift. It's not your own doing, so that no one can boast. No one's going to boast. You know what God won't let you do? He won't let you leave here and take the glory. He's gonna, not going to let you leave here and give you some credit. He's going to take all the credit because he's the only one who's earned it. No one can boast in this. No one can boast in salvation and forgiveness of sins, but God alone. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus goes to the tomb of a dead corpse, like our souls were. It's the tomb of a a friend of his named Lazarus. In fact, he's been dead for four days, so much so that the family members say, don't go near the tomb, it probably stinks. And so everyone's written this dead corpse off, because it's rotting and it's decaying. And Jesus walks by, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And this man, who wasn't calling out to God, who didn't make a plea to God, who didn't do some good things towards God, came alive. If you could follow Lazarus into town that week, can I guarantee you what you would not hear him saying? You wouldn't hear Lazarus with some of his boys saying, you know, last week I was dead, now I'm alive. Takes a pretty special guy to be alive after they've been dead, right? You wouldn't hear that at all. In fact, if he said anything at all, you know what I think he would have said? I think he would have said, There are a thousand graves in Israel. And I have no idea why he came to mine. But he came to mine. In fact, they had written me off. They had told him not even to come by because it was a waste of his time. But he called. I wasn't calling out to him. I was dead in that corpse. But when he said, Lazarus, suddenly something moved in my heart and my dead heart came to life. So it would be for any of you who come to life today. You would be saying, and you should be saying right now, I don't know why I'm here today. I want you to hear that. You're here in church today. Please don't miss that. Because there's a thousand people in this city who need to hear this. And I don't know why they're here and they're not here and you are. But you are. And I'm telling you, some of you are here because people have been praying for you. And I don't know why he's choosing to walk by your grave today, but he is. And he wants to call you out by name. Come alive. Don't resist the work of the Holy Spirit who wants to breathe life into your dead heart so that your testimony would be, I don't know why he walked by my grave, but he did. I don't know why he would see my dead corpse or my spiritual dead heart and say, I want that, but he did. And he called out my name and suddenly faith started beating in this dead heart of mine. You could have come here dead, you could leave here alive. You could have come here under God's wrath, you could leave here recipient of his mercy. You could have come here captive to this world, you could leave here seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. How? By grace, through faith. And it's not your doing, so no one can boast. So, some people heard the gospel, the good news, when it was first preached, and they said, What do we need to do? And the simple answer was repent and believe, and you'll be saved. Repent, be baptized, that's a sign of that belief, and you'll be saved. So I implore you, Jesus is walking by, respond, receive that gift today. And Easter 2013 will be not only the day when you remember Jesus came alive, but the day you came alive as well. Let me pray and then I'll give us some instructions. Let's pray together. Our Lord, this is a good day. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and because of his resurrection, all of us can share in a resurrection like his. Because he conquered death, we can conquer death. Because he rose to life, we can rise in newness of life. I pray even now, Holy Spirit, that you would be hovering over this room, that you would walk by men and women whose hearts are spiritually dead, and you, Jesus Christ, would call them to life and cause faith to beat in their hearts. Let none pass over this gift that you offer today. Let all receive by faith, through grace, this gift. Please let all receive by faith because of your grace this gift today. Let today be the day that not only marks when Jesus rose from the dead, but the day when they rose from the dead with faith in Christ. Let them have come here dead and leave here alive. Come here not knowing you, leave here a Christian following you. We pray that you would do that and that you would sweep among us all and bring us to life. Renew the living, and even as the power of God raised Jesus from the dead, let the power of God raise us today as well. Give us grace to receive your gift today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to come now to